Welcome to Off the Post, Post Media's hockey podcast. Uh, I'm Paul Chapman, joined by Mike Trakos, our national hockey writer. Uh, if you like this, you can subscribe to it via Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating. Uh, let us know how you like it. And Mike, today we're going to be talking a lot about playoffs, um, matchups east and west. Uh, aside from the one going on for the one spot in the east, they've kind of petered out here with a few games to go. Um, but then we're going to talk about some of the teams that didn't make the playoffs and some of the angst in those cities, in particular Edmonton if that sounds okay to you and everything else that you've seen along the way in your covering the NHL, we can throw in there as well. Um, let's start where we often do because they have the most interest in this country, Mike, and that's the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, I know you said last week that something wasn't right in Toronto and we had, you know, Frederick Anderson saying he doesn't feel as good as he'd, he'd felt in past years. He didn't feel like he was on a hot streak. Man, this team just continues to muddle along. Uh, obviously, they avenged John Tavares with the, the visit to the island, but they're still only, you know, four, four, and two in their in their last ten. And it just, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm naive. I was expecting something to spur on. Is it possible that it will still happen in the playoffs, or is this team just in a funk? Yeah, you know what? I think it's the the latter, uh, Paul. And you know, I, I am in Toronto, so. I get a lot of friends or just people walk up to me knowing what I do for a living and just say, you know what, I don't feel good about this Leaf team. Um, I think most people are expecting not only a loss to the Bruins in the first round, but a lot of people are almost um, expecting uh, that it's going to be a sweep. Like I, I've seen jokes on Twitter, people saying, who's going to win more games in April? Is it going to be the Leafs or is it going to be the Jays? And no, it won't be the Jays. <laughs> well, and maybe, you know, no, like, you know what I mean? So it, it, there's a lot of sort of doom and gloom going around Toronto. And, you know, like, it, there's two ways to take it. Um, on, obviously, this team has its issues defensively, and now it doesn't seem to be able to score and doesn't seem to be playing with that confidence. But you know, maybe this is sort of what Toronto needed. Like the, all season long, they're kind of humming along. Um, you know, everything was going well. Tavares, Marner, Matthews, everything was clicking. And, you know, this is the real first, I guess, taste of adversity that the team has had to go through. And maybe they can kind of rally behind this sort of us against the world sort of um, rallying cry where, you know, everyone's counted them out. So they have no pressure and really just kind of everyone else uh, out there to kind of prove wrong. We'll see if it works, though. <laughs> well, yeah, we will. And I, I guess... You know, there's there's some, I mean, I think the whole league has bad blood with the Bruins. Um, so maybe that and playing them over and over again can spur something on. But I just don't, I, I, I'm a little surprised when I see the talent in that lineup that they haven't got going yet. Um, look, if there's, if there's one guy in the NHL who can maybe figure this out, uh, it's probably Mike Babcock. What do you get the sense from him that he believes this team needs to do? Like, it. it is it just a matter of getting, uh, picking up the intensity, or or not trying to do too much, or you know having games that really matter? Like, is there any sense from you as to uh, is it something the coach can fix? I guess is my question. Well, let's be honest about Mike Babcock. He he's going into these playoffs with just as much to prove as anyone else in Toronto. Like, it, it's been a while since this coach has advanced past the first round. Like, we have to go back to 2012-13. And even then, they lost in the second round. So, you know, the last time he's gotten to the conference final, um, <laughs> we're talking about 2008-09. Uh, 
Like <laughs> that is a long time ago. And, you know, it's been one and done for Babcock, whether it's been Toronto or uh, recently in Detroit for a number of years. So uh, he's definitely got a lot to prove. And like you said, if there is one guy that can kind of uh, be an X factor for the team, uh, maybe it is Babcock. Maybe he can figure out how to keep um, the matchups to Toronto's favor. Um Maybe you can find a way to kind of squeeze every ounce of talent out of this team because, let's face it, on paper, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs look a lot better than the Boston Bruins if you're just going by um, who's got um, more options offensively. Um, Toronto's got a Morgan Riley who should be a finalist, if not a finalist, just outside that group for a Norris Trophy. Like, There's a lot of good things in Toronto. It's just a matter of getting them all on the same page and getting them to believe. But... Um, you know, a lot is going to be written about what Mike Babcock is able to do with this team because um, if you're a Toronto sports fan, all you have to do is look at the Raptors and look what Dwayne Casey wasn't able to do in Toronto and um, not being able to get over that hump that was the Cleveland Cavaliers and get the Raptors deep into the playoffs was the reason why a guy who won Coach of the Year was ultimately fired in Toronto. And, you know, regardless of what Mike Babcock has remaining on his salary, um, what he's got remaining on his contract, um, there is a thought process out there that if the Leafs fail again in the first round and fail miserably, that Mike Babcock could also be on his way out. It's I, I only reference this because you you brought up the the Jays, you know, and I know it's different sports, but it's it's stunning how quickly the Jays went from a young team on the rise in the playoffs, looking to build on something to complete rebuild, and you know it seemed like the Leafs were in the rebuild mode for like 15 years, but this was it. They're you know, on the right track and everyone wants to see progress. The Raptors, obviously they've had their travails this year as well, going back to the big trade that, that, uh, that took DeRozan out. Is there being in Toronto, is there more optimism and more excitement about the Raptors in the playoffs than the Leafs? Or is it still, even though it's anxious, is it still a Leafs town? No, I, you know, that's a really good point there, Paul. Uh, I think the Raptors, if you're going to ask uh, any sort of general sports fan, they, they would tell you that they have, bigger expectations at least this year for the Raptors you know that, that could change in a year that could change with you know the Leafs winning a playoff series or maybe even just winning a game on the road against the Bruins that's how fickle the sports fans seem to be right now in Toronto but you know with the season that the Raptors have had and how well Kawhi Leonard has meshed with that team um, and just the fact that LeBron James is finally out of the east um, there is a window of opportunity there where if you just look at the NHL Eastern Conference standings, like it's not just the Boston Bruins that are a huge obstacle um, standing in the way of the Leafs. It's also the Tampa Bay Lightning. And if you get past that team, then you possibly you're going up against the defending Cup champ. Sorry, the defending Stanley Cup champions in the Washington Capitals, or potentially the Pittsburgh Penguins. So it's a tough road. Um, you know, winning the Stanley Cup is not easy. Obviously, we all know that, but it just seems like uh, the path to get there for the Leafs this year. Um, is probably greater than it ever has been. So if we talk about players, um, and we'll talk about Connor McDavid later, uh, I do find it, it's interesting. Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews, two guys drafted fairly close together in similar spots, and heading into their draft, they were acclaimed as, you know, these guys are franchise players. They're generational. They will compete for Stanley Cups. Um, what do you think Matthews mindset is and how do you see his game heading into the playoffs because you know we've talked about this before 
Hall of Fame players, their stories are told in the playoffs. That's when the moments matter. That's when the goals count. That's when you build your own legend. And it seems to me, yes, we can talk about injuries and we can talk about the guy behind the bench and we can talk about the general manager and everything else. But when it comes down to the players, do you think Austin Matthews is going to show something in this playoff series that we haven't seen before? He better. Let's let's, uh, let's state it that way because – uh, if you're the Boston Bruins, you're probably matching up against the Tavares-Marner line, which has been Toronto's deadliest from start to finish. Talking about a guy who's three goals away from 50 goals in Tavares, and another guy who's um, getting close to that 100-point mark in uh, Mitch Marner. So that's the line that I think you have to be the most worried about if you're the Bruins. Then that gives Matthews a huge opportunity to really shine this postseason. Like last year, he was matching up against the Bergeron line. He was seeing Zidane Chara every time he's on the ice. Now he's going to see the second defense pair. He's going to see the second uh, forward unit. And there's an opportunity there for Matthews to, you know, last year he said he wanted to be in the Jonathan Tays and Sidney Crosby's class of players where you don't just do it in the regular season. You do it when it truly counts in the playoffs. And last year his numbers weren't good at all. Um, he ended up with one goal, one assist in seven games. Um, the year before that, though, against the Washington Capitals, this guy was Toronto's best forward. He had four goals in six games. So I think he's going to have to be more of that type of player where, you know, if he's getting the easier matchups, he's got to really make the most of it. And not just Matthews, but uh, Nazem Kadri, who's been really quiet this season. Um, after back-to-back 30-goal seasons, he's another guy that if he's going to get the easier matchups, he's got to shine as well. So um, yeah, it's always a matchup battle in the playoffs. And I think with Toronto, the, the idea that they got John Tavares was going to give them three potent lines. Well, now it's time to show it. How do you like the, uh, Boston Bruins right now? I mean, some of it could be, look, this is at the end of season sort of drags. You don't want it. You want to make sure you're healthy. Uh, mentally, it's been a long season. We've pretty much known since <laughs> I'm going to jokingly say November that they're going to play the Leafs in the first round. Um, so I'm not sure what the motivation is to be up there game for game, but the Bruins are on this amazing run from Christmas on. They haven't been bad, but they've not been as dominant in the last two weeks as they have been all season. Um, do the Bruins have issues heading into the playoffs? I, I don't know if they've got issues, but certainly there's question marks. Like Tuka Rask hasn't been as good in the second half as he's been um, earlier in the season, like you said, when we're talking about that streak. Um but you know what? With veteran teams like the Bruins, I think it's just a matter of, you know, flicking the switch. I would say the same thing about Pittsburgh and Washington, where regardless of what's going on in the season, it's a different team. It's a different feeling when the postseason starts. And I think that's the advantage that Boston has over the Leafs and over a lot of teams is that you know this is the group and this is a core that's won a Stanley Cup together. This is a group that's advance deep into the playoffs year after year. So um, they don't have those sort of you know, internal questions that the Leafs are going to have and then other younger teams that still haven't done it are going to have. Um, it's just a matter of, you know what, let's go back to work. Let's get, get it done. And the fact that they're playing a Leaf team that they're very familiar with, uh, I think there's a game plan there where, you know, they can say, you know what, it, it succeeded in the past. Let's just stick to what we know. Well, I, I mean, seemingly you and I have been talking about this Bruins-Leafs matchup forever. Uh, we know that, you know, the common playoff history they have. It's going to be really interesting to see. I can't wait till the games actually start. Um, I was having this conversation with some other uh, media colleagues out here in the last week. 
it's it's so good to have the Leafs relevant. I mean, I know the Canucks in Vancouver have been out of the playoffs, going to miss it for the fourth year in a row, but it is so good for whether you love them or hate them to have a team to be interested in. And I think when you look at the storylines on this Leafs team, whether it's Nylander being signed and that being a huge disappointment, Tavares there and putting up good numbers, but the results aren't there. We talked about Matthews, talk about the goaltending, talk about Babcock. Will there be change in the front? There are so many storylines with this Leafs team. Oh, definitely. And it's, you know, I think it's fair to say it's going to be the, probably the best series or at least the most anticipated series of the first round, just because of, you know, playoff history with Boston and Toronto facing la- facing each other last year, as well as uh, back in I think twenty twelve thirteen. Um, but you know what? I I just think that everyone loves that sort of skill versus physicality, um, and what's going to win out? Is it going to be the big brawny Bruins who probably aren't as big and brawny as they have been in the past, or is it going to be a Leaf team that has relied on analytics and? smaller skilled guys and didn't go out and get that enforcer at the deadline. So um, definitely a clash of styles and, you know, there's going to be a lot of good matchups, but I get the feeling that this is the one that most people are going to be talking about. Yeah, it's absolutely great. Um, all right, we'll leave the first period there. We'll come back. We'll talk a little bit about Montreal, some of the little play- of the other playoff races, and then we'll get into some of the other Canadian teams heading into the playoffs as well. How's it going? I'm Dave Breckenridge. I'm the host of 10.3, Post Media's Canadian News Podcast. In every episode, we take a deeper look at major stories happening in Canada, talking with journalists who are on the ground from newsrooms across the country. So once Off the Post has you up to date with the latest in the hockey world, be sure to subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. That's 10.3, Canada's News Covered. Welcome back to the second period of the Off the Post Hockey Podcast. Uh, Mike Trakos here. Mike, um, when you look at the Montreal Canadiens, we were talking last week about, we, we've known for a few weeks now that it was, you know, you were looking at Columbus, Carolina, Montreal, and I thought Montreal were, especially riding Carey Price, were the shoe-in, and that if anyone was to falter, it might be Carolina. Carolina's looked really good down the stretch. Columbus has looked desperate, but it has been paying off for them. They've got the tiebreakers with Montreal, but they're even in points with a couple of games left. Do the Canadians have, I mean, of course they have hope, but what are their odds here? This is crazy, Paul. <laughs> I was with you. I was writing. <laughs> I was telling everyone that Montreal is in it. Um, just for the reasons that you mentioned, it's Carey Price. This team is on pace to finish with 98 points. And can you, like, it's hard to imagine a 98-point team not making the playoffs, but that's how good the East has been Especially in the West. <laughs> I know, and, and I was looking at it. So if it was a 1 versus 16 format, the league went that way, Montreal would be the 14th seeded team. So not only would they be in the playoffs, but they would be uh, ahead of the Golden Knights and ahead of the Dallas Stars uh, to boot. But, you know, it, I think this is what's making the final week of the season real exciting is the fact that Montreal might not get in and they desperately need these wins. And, you know, they picked up a huge win against the Tampa Bay Lightning and now it doesn't get any easier. They got to go against the Washington Capitals on the road, and then face Toronto on the final game of the season. And, you know, Toronto said they're not resting any guys. They expect Frederick Anderson to be in net. So it's going to be a real tough road to climb. But, um, you know, I, I still have a feeling that Columbus is going to somehow falter and the hockey gods are just going to go against them. And it's going to be Montreal and Carolina in those final two wildcard spots. If Montreal doesn't make it, I mean, when we look at the trades made in the offseason, um, Bergevin, probably in a you know a position where people thought he'd been in the job too long by at least a year anyway 
he pulls off a couple of trades that really worked out for them. But if they don't make the playoffs, is this season a success in Montreal? I think so. And you know what? I've heard that question a lot of times. And with Montreal Canadian fans, obviously they demand uh, the world and they want the playoffs. They want the Stanley Cup. They, they, they want to be competitive every year. But I, I think the educated fan has to realize that this is a team that no one was expecting to be a playoff team. The fact that they had their number three overall pick in the lineup all year and that he's looked really good. Uh, we're talking about uh, Jesperi Kokanaimi, probably butchering his name, but uh, regardless, he's been fantastic. Everyone does. Yeah, really. <laughs> At least he can, he's not changing <laughs> it every week like Elias Peterson. <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, what was I saying? So the Max Domi trade works out fabulously for them. Um, they get Thomas Tatar in a trade from Vegas Golden Knights. Basically, he's a thrown player. He's looked tremendous for them. Shea Weber looks like his old self. No one's talking about, oh, wow, it, w- it would be great to have P.K. Subban here. I think Weber's actually had a better season than Subban. So, you know, I, I think the Montreal Canadiens can't afford to not make the playoffs this year. And everyone would say, you know what, um, the players have taken a step forward. Um, organizationally, this team has te- taken a step forward. There's a lot of prospects in the pipeline that weren't there a year ago. Um, if they get another top pick this year, uh, they're going to be in a real good spot. So um, it it could be one of those years where, you know what, just the fact that they got this close is deemed sort of a moral uh, victory. So if we now shift to the West and um, I mean, the the wild card race is kind of petered out, you know, Arizona's, I think, technically still in it, but they're pretty much, you know, they need they would need a a miracle to get in. So we kind of know the teams that are in. But if we look at the Canadian teams um, and I, I. Honestly, people, if you're a regular listener, you're probably tired of hearing me say this. I still don't know how the Calgary Flames are doing it. I was expecting at some point to see a bit of a blip. They've been pretty, if you look at their game in or their season in, in 10 game chunks, they're like eight and two, seven and three. They have just been steady and consistent. Second best record in the NHL right now. Yeah, regardless um, of who's in that, too. Yeah, like, absolutely. One guy, one guy's and, and always so- playing horribly, it seems like. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, so that well, that's it. If you look at that team, you could you could you think you can still see obvious holes. Um, yet you know they've got their young guys have taken a huge step this year. Guys like Johnny Goudreau and their defense has been fantastic. Yeah, there's questions in goal, but those 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 holes on that team haven't gone away that you would pick at it. Yet here they are with the second best team in the NHL. Are you a believer in the Calgary Flames? I'm starting to become one. The the only issue, and you know, it's been an issue all year long, and actually it's not been an issue because they keep winning like you mentioned was who's going to be the game one starter is it going to be riddick or is it going to be smith and um, depending on how they play are they is that guy going to be in for game two and game three and you know looking back i think the last four stanley cup winners whoever was the starting goalie in game one wasn't a starting goaltender in the final game of the playoffs so maybe it doesn't matter um matt murray and mark andre fleury uh, we're basically a tandem. Both years were in Pittsburgh one. Um, Philip Grubauer started uh, last year's playoffs for Washington before handing over the reins back to Braden Holpe. So maybe you don't need a one, a, a typical number one guy that's going to be in that every single game. At the same time, I, I, I wonder if at once at one point, you know, Riddick fails or falters, and Smith is also faltering. And what do the Calgary Flames do then? Because Neither one has been a Vezina-type goalie this year. It's just a matter of, you know, combined, they've been able to get the job done. But, it, you know, it would be really crazy and really, I guess, unfortunate for Flame fans if both guys are struggling at the same point. 
You know, it, it's it's a great point. I think if you if you look at the regular season and and you have one of your goalies let in one or two weak ones in the first period against the Anaheim Ducks in Game Fifty Four, that team has been poised enough to overcome that and win the game. But you do wonder in the playoffs if you see a soft one go in or a couple of soft ones back to back if the team panics a little bit because you know how much higher the stakes are. And Calgary doesn't have, you know, this is a young team that's still sort of learning. I mean, I look at that defense and they've been so solid um, top to bottom. You know, they seem to have the leadership. They seem to have the mix, but we haven't seen it in the playoffs before. So I look at that team and go, it's the mindset. It's the tone set by the coach. It's their poise. Um, that That's still my question about Calgary. You know, maybe that's unfair. Uh, Flames fans, I'm sure, will let me know, but uh, it's pr- it's pretty. I just find it strange myself to sit here and still be questioning this team when they have 107 points. Yeah, you know, and you're right. And at some point, we have to say, you know what, um, this team has proven everything it needs to prove. Like even their shots against, like when you're talking about how they've really kind of given their goaltenders um, the easiest sort of path here. Um, Calgary is the number one team in shots against. So they're only allowing 28.1 shots against per game. Uh, that That is the best in the league. So, you know, regardless of who's in net, um, he doesn't have to face a lot of shots. He doesn't have to worry too much. And you know, recently, Calgary's winning games like 7-2, 6-3. So their offense is really kind of um, giving them a nice cushion as well. And, yeah, like th- there are no holes in that lineup. Um you know, James Neal's even coming around. He's starting to score a bit in the last couple of weeks. Now the guys are getting rest. So you've got three lines that can produce. You've got Mark Giordano, who's probably going to win a Norris trophy. Like you said, that defense is rock solid. Um, even the third pair is impressive with the young guys back there. Um, it's just a matter of, you know what? Um, I, I think for them, getting out of the first round and sort of kind of breathing easier would be a, a huge you know, I guess weight off their shoulders. And it looks like they're not going to get a tough opponent. So um, they could have one of the easier paths to at least the conference final. So let's talk about Winnipeg as well in the West. Um, This team last year obviously went on this great run, which a lot of people then elevated uh, Winnipeg to be one of their contenders going into the year. I think they struggled a little bit with those expectations earlier on and they've had some injuries, but they seem to be fairly healthy right now. And... You and I talked about this going back, looking at sort of at Washington and Vegas and how they were constructed. Winnipeg seem to be in that mold, don't they? They're a heavy team, but they've got skill. They've got the effort. They seem to have tremendous leadership. Even though Winnipeg is 11 points behind Calgary, who do you like between the two teams? Yeah, I actually like Winnipeg. If I was going to rank the Canadian teams and their chances of winning a cup, um, I, I really like what the Jets were able to accomplish last year. And, you know, it's basically the same lineup. And they just added Kevin Hayes as a second-line center. And Hayes, I think, has been a perfect addition for them. A big guy. You can kill penalties, but also plays with a lot of skill. And he's really fit into that lineup seamlessly. And now that they got Big Buff back on defense, uh, Connor Hellebuck seems to be playing really well right now. Um, It's a team that seems poised to make a long run. That being said, man, if they don't win the division, you could see Winnipeg play Nashville or St. Louis in the first round. That neither one is a good opponent for them. Like I, I know I was looking over their stats, and uh, I think they're three and one against Nashville this year, three and one against St. Louis, and funny enough, they're one and three against Dallas, who could be their first round opponent if they win the division. But that being said, no one wants to face the Predators or the Blues uh, with how good and deep both teams are. 
in the first round of the playoffs. That, that, give that give that matchup in the second round or third round if you have to, but not in the first round. I think that's the only thing that could derail uh, Winnipeg is the fact that they might get really kind of a, one of the tougher opponents in, in that first round. Quickly on that note, before we end the second period, you have a vote in the end of season awards, right? Yes, I do. Yeah. So, you know, by the halfway point, everyone had gifted uh, Elias Pettersson the Calder uh, because he I mean, really was remarkable. His start really seems to have hit a wall here. And you look at Jordan Bennington and even two, three weeks ago, Canuck fans were scoffing at the idea that there was any sort of a race for the Calder. Who would you vote for now? Because if you if there's any sort of recency bias, you know, Pedersen really does not seem to have weathered well as the season has gone along. And I look at Bennington and I'm like, man, just as you said, I wouldn't want to be facing that goalie in the first round of the playoffs. No, and you're right. And I think I wrote something uh, as a joke that by the All-Star break, uh, had Pedersen basically gotten injured at the All-Star game, almost similar to what happened to Brock Besser. Um, he would still win the Calder. Well, that was before Jordan Bennington <laughs> really came onto the scene. And, you know, it, nothing against Elias Pettersson. Like, 65 points in 69 games is incredible. Uh, what he was able to do this year for a team that's not in the playoffs is really incredible. I think he's um, going to be a future star for so many years. But, like, how can you ignore a guy who right now has got a 185 goals against average and 9.28 save percentage, and a single-handedly really brought the Blues um, from dead last or dead or second last in the Western Conference to you know a couple points out of being the best team in the Central. And the only thing against Jordan Bennington is that he's only made 28 starts, and his 28 starts um, enough uh, of a sample size for him to get the Calder. It's going to be something, and I'm going to have to weigh seriously. Um, I'm actually kind of looking at my votes. Uh, today for one of the columns I'm writing in, you know, I, I'm really having a hard time um, as to where to place Jordan Bennington. And if he's a Calder Trophy candidate or uh, a winner, does that mean that he's also a Vezina Trophy finalist or a winner as well? Because what he's been able to do this year, like I said, you, you take him out of that lineup and St. Louis, Louis Blues do not win uh, as many games. They don't necessarily, they don't, they definitely don't go into the playoffs. So it, it will be a hard one, but um, for sure, he's a finalist. I just don't know if he's the winner. Uh, well, you got two games left to make up your mind, so um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll see if either of them can do something to to sway your vote in the last couple of games. Um, we'll leave the second period there. We'll come back. We'll talk about some of the non-playoff teams in, in north of the border. How's it going? I'm Dave Breckenridge. I'm the host of Ten Three Post Media's Canadian News Podcast. In every episode, we take a deeper look at major stories happening in Canada, talking with journalists who are on the ground from newsrooms across the country. So once Off the Post has you up to date with the latest in the hockey world, be sure to subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. That's 10.3 Canada's News Covered. Welcome back to the third period of the Off the Post uh, Hockey Podcast. Mike, um... Let's start with the Edmonton Oilers. We've, you know, I've theorized, uh, you know, with you as this year goes along about, you know, not suggesting at some point Connor McDavid is going to demand out of Edmonton. And and we, you know, everyone always talks about him being a good Canadian kid and doesn't want to make waves, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, we heard quite the outburst from him this week when they were, you know, he was asked about missing the playoffs, you know, quotes like we have a lot of crap to figure out. And we have to stop the bleeding quick, which I thought was interesting because seemingly this team's been bleeding for 10 years. <laughs> um, 
you know, I, I think for him to show that publicly, like, and he referenced, we've already fired the GM. We've fired another coach. Like, where do we go from here? Then the draft lottery again. What do you really think is, I mean, ownership obviously has it at their feet that they have to get this right. But what's your sense of what they have to do in Edmonton and what that means for the future of Connor McDavid? Well, McDavid's not going anywhere. Like, even if he wanted to, uh, wanted out of Edmonton, which he, he's given no indication that he actually wants out, there's no reason why the Edmonton Oilers have to trade him. Like he can say, I want out, whatever. He signed a contract, right? He's got another, what, seven years in Edmonton. So like it or not, he's stuck there for probably seven years because as bad as, um, like management might be inept, but they're not totally stupid. They're not going to trade uh, arguably the best player on earth who right now has got, what, 41 goals, 115 points. And, you know, to that further that, they're not going to trade Leon Dreisaitl, who's right up there with 47 goals and 102 points. And, you know, both guys sign long-term deals. And you know what? Maybe this is a lesson for the next star player, uh, whether it's Pedersen, whether it's Line A, uh, whether it's Mitch Marner. Don't sign eight-year contract, eight-year deals. <laughs> you know why? Because it gives management basically a free pass to screw things up if they so please. And you know, good on uh, Austin Matthews, who re-signed with the Leafs for five years, knowing that the cap's going to go up and that in five years' time he's going to make a lot more money than he is now. But also, you know, it kind of puts pressure on management. You know, if you screw things up and you put this team in cap hell and uh, like the Leafs or whoever are not competitive five years from now, well, Matthews can walk. What can McDavid do aside from just stick it out, put up his points, and wait until management gets it together? So you know, I think that's the unfortunate thing. And I think that's the thing that a lot of players really have to think about is that you know, you're putting your trust into a general manager that he's got, um, that he's not only going to give you your money, but he's going to give the proper guys their money and make sure that they're building all around you. And Oilers didn't do that. Uh, Peter Shirelli really screwed things up. And Bob Nicholson hasn't been much better since coming in. And now it's up to the next general manager. And really, aside from maybe belly aching to the media if he so chooses, McDavid really can't do anything about it aside from, you know, just putting his nose down and kind of trying to get this team into the playoffs. I, I would suggest, though, that technically can't do anything about it. But if you have someone who really doesn't want to be there, and we know that culture's been part of the issue in Edmonton, maybe they accept losing too easily because they've had so much of it. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't. Personally, I wouldn't say that is impossible, and I only say that because I never thought we'd see Gretzky traded. I, that, and from that day on, it's been like, and I know that that was an ownership-driven thing, but there's no doubt Connor McDavid would bring you a magnificent haul. But I, I think you're still a year or two away from that. I just wonder, and you're you're so right. This is a massive lesson to every young player to to still be tied to that city for that long. Um, I, I wonder he if they go through another bad year next year and don't make the playoffs, you just start looking around at your comparables and thinking, like, I have to make the playoffs. I have to start telling my story. I have to start competing for championships. Um, he may not be able to do anything about it, and then you're in a really crappy situation where you've got a guy who doesn't want to be there, and then you have to you know play a game of, of who blinks first. Right. But, man, I'll tell you, that this, this, is a, this is a direct shot at ownership because you're looking for a GM – if they don't figure it out in Edmonton next year, I don't know what, what you can do with that franchise. And here's the danger, Paul. Is like, is a short-term fix, and is that really sort of the solution that the Edmonton Oilers really need right now? Like, I know everyone wants 
this team or Connor McDavid really wants his team back in the playoffs. They want, we all want to see McDavid in the playoffs. We want this team to sort of turn things around. It's good for hockey. It's good for everyone. But at the same time, to get there, like you're going to have to possibly either trade Dreisaitl, trade Nugent Hopkins, make a sort of gamble type trade, the sort of trade that the Edmonton Oilers did when they traded Taylor Hall for Adam Larson. And you risk making this even worse. Or maybe you trade one of the young guys for yeah. a proven veteran. Like maybe uh, a Yessi Puyuyarvi gets traded or an Evan Boucher gets traded. Um, a young player who, you know, three years from now might be that guy that you're looking for. And all you got was one playoff round and then you're back at square one again. So, you know, the next GM has got to be real careful. And if I was, you know, if I was the Edmonton Oilers, I would say, you know what, screw what's happened in the past. We have to worry about where we're going to be three, five years from now. And the way to do that is to, you know, draft, develop, and slowly get rid of those um, crazy bad contracts. And the worst thing you could do right now, I think, is move young players for older guys just to get in, just to make Connor happy. Well, that's where this time next week it will be fascinating because, I, I mean, obviously close to the situation here in Vancouver, you know, you're looking at another team that over the last four years has been the worst team in hockey, not just missing the playoffs, but, um, you know, there's there's obviously more optimism in Vancouver um, than there is in Edmonton because they already have their players sort of in their peak. Um, you know, Canucks, obviously, Pedersen's a good story. Best is a good story. People have been thrilled with Quinn Hughes this handful of games, but I find that where the those draft lottery balls fall will be absolutely fascinating because if the Oilers are at seven or eight, do they give up one of those pieces like Pugliarvi that you talk about to move up to get a top three piece? I know with the draft in Vancouver, Jim Benning wants to make a splash. Ownership wants to make a splash. And I could see them throwing a lot of stuff if they don't end up with the first or second pick, um, trying to move up in the draft, you know, mimic that Brian Burke move that got them both the Sedins. I, I think this way, uh, the draft lottery, I mean, we've talked about Ottawa before as well. You know, just a horrendous year for them and they lost control of their, of their, of their, pick obviously Colorado have that um depending on which team when you look at the non-playoff teams ends up with the first or second pick I think we're going to see a lot of movement at the top of the draft this year yeah and like you said if Edmonton's somewhere around the eight or nine uh, mark um for drafting do they even trade that draft pick or is that is that pick become uh, in play for just a, a roster player um and again like I said that I think that's a dangerous road um, that the others would go down because they don't have those guys coming up through the pipeline. Like they've got a Kaylor Yamamoto and Evan Boucher, and we've seen what Yessi Poyarvi can and can't do at the NHL level. Um, but that's it, really. Like um, last I checked, when I was looking at their prospects, there wasn't a whole lot to write home about. Um, other teams are like stocked way deeper than Edmonton is, and I think that's the danger. And so it will be interesting. Right now, it looks like uh, Colorado by Ottawa is going to have the uh, the number one chance at getting a Jack Hughes. But um, from talking to scouts, th this is a draft that goes pretty deep beyond the one and two and three guys. Um, so it will be interesting whether teams put those picks in play or if they try to move up to get a um, a Kako who's expected to go number two overall or. Uh, some of those other top players. Um, it will be interesting to see where the lot of balls fall, though. That's for sure. Yeah, and and sort of playing off that, um, the Sharks are one eight and one in their last ten heading into the playoffs. You know, 
you look at that Eric Carlson situation in, in Ottawa and you know, the feeling was, oh, well, San Jose is a beast. This was a missing piece. They're going to make a deep run. You know, if he's not happy with what happens in, in, uh, in San Jose, then free agency becomes a completely different story. Again, I think we're in for a pretty tumultuous off season. Um, are you concerned about the sharks at all? Or is this just another case of a team like not necessarily flipping a switch, but you think that they have the horses to do it once the playoff starts? Yeah, I think it's the latter. The only concerning thing is Martin Jones. Um, he hasn't played well all year, and there's a feeling that he's going to just turn it on when the playoffs start. But if he doesn't, that could be a team in trouble. Um, but they're getting guys back. I'm just kind of checking here. Is Carlson back now from injury, or is he still out? Uh, I think he's still I out, think he's- right? Yeah. So they get their guys back. I think they're going to be in a lot better shape. Um, and that's a team that I don't want to face. It's veteran. It's big. They're deep on defense. It's not a whole lot of holes there. I know they're not playing the greatest hockey right now, but like like with the Bruins, I'm not that concerned when you're talking about a team that's made it to this cup final uh, only a few years ago. Um, but yeah, you know, when you're talking about Carlson, though, like he's still unsigned. Last time I talked to Doug Wilson at the GM meetings, uh, it didn't sound like there was any sort of progress in that regard. Maybe it gets done in the offseason. Maybe Carlson ends up somewhere else. And, you know, this is a crazy offseason for free agents. Like, not only Carlson, yep. but you know, Matt Duchesne, Artemi Panarin, uh, Sergei Bobrovsky. There's a lot. Joe Pavelski um, is also going to be available. Like, there's a lot of big-name players that could be moving teams and. You know, maybe that's if if Edmonton could find the cap space, maybe a couple guys are going to make the difference there. Yeah, it's uh, obvious. Again, I reference Vancouver, it, knowing that the drafts here that they'll likely have a, a high pick, and that they've got money to spend. I think this is one of the more important seasons for the Vancouver Canucks. But when you look at Ottawa, um, you know, you look at uh, Edmonton. Certainly, um, if Calgary, Toronto have a first round exit, do they say, man, look, we've got the core here. Let's swing for the fences this offseason. I think, you know, we all get excited about the playoffs being here, but I'm looking at this period of hockey going from the playoffs starting to the draft to free agency. We're in for, you know, a hell of a five, six months of, uh, of NHL. Yeah. You know what? And then John Tavares going to free agency last year, he really changed everything. I think before you'd say, well, yeah, you know, what, Carlson's a free agent, but chances are he'll sign because all guys end up signing with their team. It doesn't happen anymore, I don't think. And a lot of guys are now willing to go that kind of NBA route where they're saying, you know what, I'm going to get the money. I don't care where it is. And you look at Buffalo and Jeff Skinner. I thought he would have signed by the end of October or at the very least November. He's still unsigned, and that team now has lost, I think, 15 of 16 games. If I'm Jeff Skinner, I'm saying to myself, why the heck do I want to sign in Buffalo where – they're looking possibly at another coaching change. Like, never mind what's going on in Edmonton. That Buffalo Sabres team is just as big of a mess and can't seem to get things together. So we could, be, we could see like a ton of really high-end, younger free agents available this summer. Well, Mike, I think we'll leave it there. Uh, as we all get excited for this time next week, we'll be able to do a proper playoff preview, um, look at the matchups and also – uh, we'll know who's who's where in the draft lottery and what that mean, might mean for the offseason. So um, thanks for this as ever. Thanks for listening, everyone. Again, you can subscribe to us through Apple Podcasts and join us next week to get some Mike's thoughts on everything around the NHL heading into the playoffs. Yeah.